Good morning. There's nowhere I'd rather be this morning than right here, worshipping God with you. Thank you, Deb and Ash, for leading us in worship. Is there anything more frustrating than a glow stick that doesn't glow? The very thing it's designed to do, it doesn't do. And there's not much use for a small plastic stick. We're going to look today at a well-known story. It's called On the Road to Emmaus. And I just wonder about these men walking along the road, pondering the events of the Passion Week, how they were just like this glow stick. They didn't have the effervescence. They didn't have the key ingredient which would allow them to shine. So if you have your Bibles, would you turn to Luke chapter 24? We're going to read that passage on the road to Emmaus starting at verse 13. Luke 24, 13. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognising him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Clopas said, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognised him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. 
There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together, saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognised by them when he broke the bread. Now we know the events before, we know about the Passion Week and the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, the Passover on the Thursday night, the arrest, the mock trial, all the treatment, the suffering that Jesus went through, carrying his own cross up to the hill of Calvary, the crucifixion, and then the resurrection. And these men were there. They knew and they saw. They were eyewitnesses. But as they are walking along the road, seven kilometers, uh, seven, kilometer, seven miles, this is about 11 kilometers, they're pondering. They know of Jesus and all of the events of the past three days, but they did not recognize Jesus when he joined them. Now, that's not too surprising because he has a resurrected body. Mary didn't recognize him. The, the disciples didn't recognise him. There was something about him that identified him to them, but they didn't immediately recognise him. How ironic this story is that uh, Jesus joins them and says, what are you talking about? Who are you talking about? And they say, you're the only one. He doesn't know what's going on. And it's all about him, of course. And they're giving Jesus the details of what happened to him. And verse 21 is significant. It says, but we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. All their hopes were in Jesus. They were hoping for this collective redemption of the nation of Israel, a nation that had gone astray a nation that had been invaded and oppressed and suppressed by empire after empire, starting with the Assyrians and the Babylonians and the Persians and then the Greeks and now the Romans. And Who's going to free us from all this oppression and place Israel, this great chosen nation of God, in its rightful place? The Messiah is going to do that. The Messiah will crush the Roman Empire and lift Israel up as to where we should be because we are God's chosen people above every other nation on the earth. That was their hope. Little did they know that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. wasn't just for the nation of Israel. Imagine being disappointed with Jesus. Because you thought he would do something for you, like defeat your enemies, help you overcome temptation, provide you with loving perfection, take away all your sicknesses and infirmities, and he's gone and done something completely different. And you had hopes. You had hopes for what Jesus would do for you. And he's done something completely different that you didn't expect and that you don't understand. 
what Jesus did on the cross, and we've sung about it, set us free. Yes, free from our enemies. Yes, free from sin that so easily entangles, but also free from our own selfish desires, free from our own ego, free from our self-centeredness. By faith in Christ, we can be willing to deny ourselves and take up our cross daily and say, nevertheless, not my will be done, but your will be done and never be disappointed in Jesus again. We may go to Jesus every day and ask him to somehow improve our life. Or we may go to Jesus every day and surrender our life and circumstances to him. It is possible to be worshipping a God but not actually allowing him to shine in our lives and be God. Verse 25 indicates that Jesus is not too happy with these men when he says, how foolish you are and how slow to believe. You would think that if you met someone who knew all about you, you'd be pretty happy, impressed even. But Jesus is not impressed that they knew all about him. How slow you are, he says. And then he starts to explain to them all the scriptures, starting at Moses and the prophets, concerning himself, the Messiah, Christ. Verse 29, we find out they want more. Of course you want more of Jesus. Once you really know Jesus, you want more of him. And he's going to walk on and they urge him strongly, no, stay, stay with us, eat with us. And so he stays. He broke bread, gave it to them, and their eyes were open to recognise who it was that had been talking to them. They recognised him and then what happened? He disappeared from their sight. Imagine that. You finally see Jesus and know who he is and understand who's this man who's been walking along the road with you all these hours, explaining to you the scriptures. It's Jesus. Boom, he's gone. Wow. He's disappeared from their sight. But interestingly, they don't seem to disappointed. Why is that? They actually say, weren't our hearts burning within us? This heart's on fire. You see, we don't physically need Jesus with us all the time if he is in us. Now they've gone from knowing about Jesus to experiencing his presence in their lives and their hearts are burning in them. 
And what do they do? We'll go back to Jerusalem. We've got to tell the others. See, they've just walked 11 kilometres along this dusty road. It's evening. And they don't say, well, let's sleep for the night, rest, get some more energy and go back tomorrow. No, they go immediately. They're not waiting for a more opportune time. They're not waiting for when they feel better or stronger or well-rested. They go immediately because you've met with Jesus. You've had this encounter with Jesus and nothing else matters. And so they're invigorated. What they have now is their effervescence. So no longer are they just a dud piece of plastic, but now they have something inside them that is shining, something that others can recognise. The very thing for which they're created, they can now realise. The time to act is when the Lord has met with you and you recognise him and your heart is on fire. How ridiculous it would be to have that circumstance and then just think, oh, well, what movie's on tonight? Is there any football on KO? Oh, what are we having for dinner? Can we have McDonald's tonight? I mean to say, when you have met with the Lord and you've recognised him and he has entered your heart, nothing else matters. There's no other thought. There's no other urgency. I've been with the Lord. Mary, the day of resurrection, I've seen the Lord and runs to tell the others. It's interesting, isn't it, that the, when she ran to tell the disciples, of course they didn't believe and they had to run and see for themselves. And when they got to the entrance of the tomb, they stopped, except for Peter, who ran inside and found the grave clothes folded neatly and Jesus is not there. Peter. We know what happened to Peter, the Apostle Peter. What what did you think he was going to do? Go home and go fishing again the rest of his life? Or having the effervescence and shining, he's going to go wherever the Holy Spirit leads him. He's going to lead the church. He's going to establish on the rock of Jesus Christ a church that is now billions in number. And even though he might die a martyr, he's lived a life that counts for something. Nothing else matters. Now, if we read the rest of the chapter, we find what happens that Jesus then appears to the disciples. So he's on the road to Emmaus with these men. He's walked 11 kilometres with them. They've gone back. The disciples are meeting and suddenly there's Jesus in amongst them. And what does he say? Do you know what Jesus says to them? Peace be with you. He brings them peace. And as he meets with them and he reveals more of himself, they receive their personal revelation of him. And it's really interesting what he says to them in verse 49. He says, I am going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. 
Now, that's interesting in light of what I've just been saying because what I've just been saying, you have this personal encounter, you have a revelation, Jesus is in you and you're so excited, you've got to run and go and tell and yet he says, wait. He says, you are going to receive what the Father has promised but I want you to stay here and wait until you're clothed with power on a high from on high because in our own strength we will become what I talked about in the beginning. We'll become those that sort of worship God and have a form of godliness but without any power. We'll be those who go through the motions and, and live a good life but we, we don't have the effervescence And so it's essential that we are invigorated. It's essential that we receive this effervescence. It's essential that we are able to shine with the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And to shine for Jesus, to glow for Jesus, we need three things. One, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And people who need to be filled with the Holy Spirit are those that are empty, drained, exhausted, struggling every day to get out of bed, even struggling to go to bed at night for fear that you won't sleep. So if that's, if that's you, you really do need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. But the other type of people who need to be filled with the Spirit are those who are filled and having a great life and very happy and content, but it's all in their own strength. And they're thanking Jesus for blessing them so wonderfully, but it's all self-centred. There's a great need for the Holy Spirit in such circumstances. And then the third type of people that need the Holy Spirit are people who feel like their life is just blah. No? Going through the motions, nothing great exciting, no huge ambition, nothing really to look forward to. Pretty much lukewarm. You know, that tepid temperature, neither too hot nor too cold, just blah. So that probably pretty much covers all of us that we need the Holy Spirit. We need to be filled afresh with that effervescence. We need to have that personal encounter with Jesus and have our eyes opened afresh to who he is and what he has done and what he is going to do, who is and was and evermore will be. And once we're filled with the Holy Spirit, the next thing we need to do And for a glow stick to work, you know it has to happen. What has to happen? It's got to be broken. Otherwise it's not going to shine. Now we won't be able to tell because it's so light. You've got to break it. You've got to break it. We need to be broken. Now you might say, well, how were the men on the road to Emmaus broken? You know, they were on their way home. I presume they had a life to go back to. 
How are the disciples? I mentioned Peter. How are they broken? You know, they had, they had jobs, they had families, they had communities, and they left them all. And they had to sacrifice and be broken in order to shine for Jesus. But there's something else you need, isn't it? Thank you. It's something else that you need other than being filled and having the effervescence and being broken so it will shine. What are you going to do? Walk around carrying your glow stick all day? And, of course, that's going to become inconvenient. You'll have to put it down at some stage. So what do you do? You have to get it connected, don't you? You have to be connected. So once you've made your connection, then you can actually be connected to your effervescence, to the power. You can wear it wherever you go, even in the shower. And we know these, you know, these don't last long. It's only a symbol. The Holy Spirit does last forever. But you have to go through these motions of being broken and connected and being one with the Holy Spirit. And that was Jesus' prayer for us before he went back to heaven. He said, Father, I pray that they will be one as you and I are one. As the Holy Spirit, God the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit are one God, he wants us to be one with the Holy Spirit. That wherever we go and whatever we do, we are going connected to the Holy Spirit. So that we may shine that we may indeed fulfil the very purpose for which we were created. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about that. Why are you here? Why are you on this planet? For what purpose are you living and walking and breathing? Because God has a very definite purpose for you. And so much of our time and effort and energy and thought goes into fulfilling our desire, unless we are filled with the Holy Spirit and broken and connected and become one with the Holy Spirit, taking up our cross daily and saying, well, Jesus, what have you got planned for me today? I'm in your hands today, Jesus. My life is in your hands. Now, I've got a schedule but nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. So if I see somebody in trouble, if I see something happening and you want me there, Jesus, I want to be the one who says, yes, send me. Yes, I'll go. Yes, I'll forego. I'll change. So I want to invite you, if that's what you desire this morning, to come and take a glow stick and a connector and we'll pray to be filled with the Holy Spirit and set on the path, the road that Jesus has for us. So if you'd like to do that, come on forward, take a glow stick and a connector and stay up the front and then we'll pray together to be filled as a church with the Holy Spirit.
you've broken your glow stick and connected it, put it on and let's pray together. Almighty God, creator of heaven and spirit, there is none like you. The fact that you are so majestic, you know everything, and yet individually you love each one standing before you and you have a plan and purpose for their lives. You know the number of hairs on our head. You know every every thought, every past experience and you have a plan, a perfect plan for our life. Father, we are sorry that we've gone our own way. We've set our own course. We've been in the driving seat and you've been a passenger. But today we say, come on board, Jesus. Be my navigator. Be the captain of my ship. Be my guiding light. We can only shine, Jesus, if you are in our life. And you are in our life through the fullness of your Holy Spirit. So we open up our hearts, we open up our minds and we ask Holy Spirit to fill us afresh, to cleanse us, to purge us, to renew us by your all-powerful Holy Spirit, that you'll quicken our thinking as you did for those men on the road to Emmaus, that our hearts will burn, that we'll leave this place different and ready to go and be about your business for your sake and for the sake of the people that don't know you yet. My prayer, Heavenly Father, is for everyone here that they will shine long after the glow stick fades, that they will shine in their heart and in their life and in their face, that you'd fill them to overflowing and that they will be like rivers of flowing water wherever they go, quenching the thirsty. Bless us, Lord God, as a church that we will indeed be spiritually alive and empowered to shine for you, that we indeed would shine here at 316, that others would be drawn to this place because there are people here who live for you. So shine, Jesus, shine. I thank you in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.